Okay, there are several important things that we should discuss today. Perhaps the most important being the police response or the lack thereof at Robb Elementary School, the Uvalde shooting. The police lurked outside the door and did not confront the shooter as he massacred this this classroom full of 19 little children. And I want to talk about that because there are several important takeaways from that situation besides simply the timeline of what happened. We, we now know the timeline of what happened, at least most of it, enough to give us a picture, an accurate picture of the botched response, the completely inappropriate, completely awful response. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to talk about this photograph. This photograph right now that you will be seeing on the screen, this is the shooter. This is the Uvalde shooter. And what he is holding in his hands, it's blurred out because this was posted by in an article, this was published in the New York Post, they obtained a video, this is just a screenshot or a still of from the video that they obtained of the shooter and what he's holding up in his hand is a plastic bag, a clear plastic bag, and in the plastic bag are at least two dead cats, murdered cats. And it was so gruesome and so graphic that the New York Post published this still. They didn't even publish the video. They published this still and they blurred it out because it is so grotesque and so gruesome. And the reason the reason that I, I think that we should talk about this today, the reason that I'm showing you this photograph, if you have not otherwise seen it, is because the left has been telling us for the past week now that this is not, this shooting was not about mental health. They told us that e- even, even when we say wow, this guy had serious mental health issues. There were indications, red flags, that he was really psychologically unwell, that he needed help. Um, They tell us that this puts a stigma on people with mental health. They say it's not about mental health, it's about guns. Or if they allow us to even say the phrase mental health and they say, well, people with mental health conditions like this person displaying these kind of red flags shouldn't have been allowed to own a gun. This This is about access to firearms. It's not about mental health itself. And I would just present to you this photograph. Does the left claim, do you, I mean, are they going to make any kind of allegation that this is normal? They're going to make an allegation that this wasn't about mental health. Cruelty to animals is one of the biggest indicators in somebody's behavior um, telling us whether or not, whether they will actually use violence against another human being. If you are cruel to animals, then you are also likely to be cruel to another human being. and. I sent out a tweet over the weekend that that went viral. It got about 10,000 responses from blue checkmark liberals on Twitter talking about not only mental health, but what we as a society need to do to actually address the mental health crisis as it pertains to the safety of our children. And it's not a particularly controversial tweet, but man, oh man, it set off these liberals. So let's dig into that. I'm Liz Wheeler. Welcome to The Liz Wheeler Show. Now, I like Moink Box because they are helping keep the U.S. independent from China. Did you know 60% of U.S. pork production comes from one company owned by the Chinese? And their hogs are given something called ractopamine, which is banned in 160 countries, including China, yet you find it in your grocery aisle every day. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and sustainable wild-caught Alaskan salmon straight to your door. Moink farmers farm like your grandparents did. And as a result, moink meat tastes like it should because the family farm does it better. You choose the meat delivered in your box, every box, like ribeyes, chicken breasts, pork chops, salmon fillets, and much more. Plus, you can cancel anytime. I love moink 
because they're committed to our country. I know you'll like it too. And my husband can attest to the fact that Moink meat tastes good. Keep American farming going by signing up at moinkbox.com slash Liz right now. And you will get free filet mignon in every order for you. You have to use my URL though. That's one year of the best filet mignon that you will ever taste. It is for a limited time. It's spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash Liz. That's moinkbox.com slash Liz. Okay, this is my tweet that sent liberal heads in a tizzy. This is what I said. Absent father, mother addicted to drugs, sent to live with grandmother, loner, isolated by lockdowns, aggressive, fights in school, self-harm, violent video games, unrestricted internet access, no friends, just online chats, no church, broken families are the problem, not guns. That was my tweet. I didn't, I didn't even include the dead cats because we didn't know about the dead cats yet. We didn't know about the bag of murdered felines that he was gritting about holding up in a photograph, in a video, um, before, he, before he committed this atrocity, this, this mass shooting. And like I said, this tweet isn't particularly controversial. It's pretty obvious, right? It's, it's like we talked about last week. There, there is evil. Evil exists. And whether or not you acknowledge it, whether or not you acknowledge the spiritual battle that is raging in our country, good versus evil, evil does exist. And evil is coming for our children because children are not only vulnerable, children can be weaponized with evil to become revolutionaries for a leftist cause. So evil exists. Evil is coming for our children. And the best bulwark against evil, either corrupting vulnerable youth like this shooter or directly targeting our toddlers, our little children, our sweet, sweet 9, 10, 11-year-olds in school, like the 19 kids at Robb Elementary School. The, the best way to protect these children from being targeted by evil is to have institutions that ser- serve as a bulwark against this evil. Institutions like the family. Because what happens when, what happens when, you know, a teenager is holding a bag of dead cats? What happens? The Washington Post reported that the shooter was known to issue death threats on on online apps, rape threats towards young women. He, I guess, he, I guess he disseminated these pictures of these dead cats. This video that obtained by the or the New York Post was not was not an isolated incident. This is really disturbing behavior. It's not just disturbing behavior. It's it's indicative of a serious mental health problem, and not just not just mental health in the in the quote unquote mental health mental health awareness way. Mental health. A, a disturbing pattern of mental illness of the type that shows red flags that mean it might be a warning to us that he might commit violence against other people. All of this just adds to my original point that, like I said, that sent liberal heads in a tizzy. I don't know why it's a problem for the left. I do know why it's a problem for the left to say, oh, we need strong families. We need a nuclear family, a married mom and a dad who are active and involved in their children's life, who raise their children to know right from wrong, who supervise. They're aware what their children look at online, who their children are talking to, the friends. They, 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 they engage with their children. They teach their children to love Jesus. They, they surround their children with a faith community. This is why it triggered the left. Because the left knows that the best bulwark against evil might is the nuclear family, but the nuclear family is also an impediment to Marxism. And so the left is caught between these two competing interests. But these dead cats just add to my point because, or, or even the death threats and the threats of sexual, sexual assault and violence, who should address this if not the family? Whose responsibility is it to, to fix this problem? 
Is it the responsibility of the app, the app that he's sending these horrible messages to other, to other people? Is it the responsibility of the government to conduct surveillance and try to find these, these troubled youth before they hurt people? Whose responsibility is it? No, it's the responsibility of parents. It's the responsibility of his parents to supervise him, to get him help when he displays these, these indications of serious mental illness, this derangement, this sick fascination with death and murder and evil. It's also the responsibility of the parents of the people who he was threatening. Whether it's young women online, whether it's friends, on not friends, but online acquaintances that he's chatting with through applications, where are these people's parents? Are they not supervising their teenager's behavior? Of course, of course, it's the responsibility of the family. The family, if present, should address this because it's violence. Before it's violence. Before it's violence. And the family is the absolute best way to do this. Again, the left, this, this is not that controversial to say. It's pretty obvious, pretty common sense. I think we all agree on it. But the left can't stand the idea because they know that the institution which serves as a bulwark against evil in this sense, against violence, also serves, this, this institution, the family, also serves as a bulwark against evil in other ways, other poisonous ideologies like socialism or communism or Marxism, the transgender ideology, queer theory, critical race theory. The family serves as a bulwark against all these different types of evil. And of course, it's convenient for the left to have a weak nuclear family structure that does not serve as a bulwark against the evil that they want to bring, the evil that they want to indoctrinate our children with. So that's why they have a problem with my tweet. But I, I, I want to talk about the timeline of the shooting. We've learned a lot in the last few days about what happened outside of the school. And I say outside of the school. It shouldn't have been outside of the school. It should have been inside the school. The police should have gone in. They should have breached the door. In fact, there shouldn't have even needed to be a police response. This should have been something that was stopped before it started. If there had been armed guards, if the school resource officer had actually been on the campus, if he had been armed and he had been able to identify and stop this shooter before, before the shooter started this assault, then we wouldn't even need to be having this conversation. But the fact of the matter is the police response was, was so abysmal um, that there are, there are deeper and more significant and more philosophical takeaways from that response beyond just the anger and the outrage that we all feel and we all should be feeling about the question. I mean, all these parents are now going to be thinking, would my child be alive still if the police had actually gone in and not waited outside for 50 minutes? Would, would my child, would my child still be alive if police had actually followed their training procedures and how to handle a mass shooter scenario? I mean, this, this is going to haunt the parents and the community, the families and the community of Uvalde, Texas for forever because of how the police responded. So, so let's start at the beginning here. The shooter messaged some, some girl, some, some girl he was talking to on, on an app. And he, he told the girl that day, earlier that day, that he was going to shoot a school. He, he literally sent her a message and said that he was going to shoot a school. I don't know whether that was reported to authorities. It doesn't seem like it was, because if it was, they didn't respond. The shooter then posted on Facebook that he was going to shoot his grandmother. And here's my question. When he posted this on Facebook, where are Facebook censors? 
Because Facebook censors respond within about a half an hour when I post something about COVID that they don't like, something about vaccine efficacy that they don't like. Where on earth are the Facebook censors? The one time that it's appropriate to have an algorithm that would, in a robotic sense, not, not, not human manpower, actually identify language that should be censored, language that shouldn't be allowed to be posted on Facebook, something like, I'm going to shoot my grandmother. Where were the censors? Well, apparently they were too busy censoring conservative thought that that annoys the left, that that contradicts Fauci to to notice that somebody said, I'm going to shoot my grandmother. Or he then posted a few minutes later saying that he actually had shot his grandmother. That wasn't censored either. He then posted on Facebook again that he was going to shoot a school. Still not censored. Still not censored. Authorities not notified. So then the shooter does what he says. He goes to the school. He crashes his truck outside. He fires at two people who were not at the school, but just nearby. Um, and then after, after crashing his truck, after shooting at two people outside of the school, he then lingered outside the school for 12 minutes. He didn't actually go into the school building for 12 minutes. And again, if there'd been a school resource officer on, on the campus, this is where this would have ended. This is where this would have ended. But there wasn't. The school resource officer wasn't at the school when he, when he was called and he drove to the school. He actually drove past the shooter, according to reports. Um, the door that the shooter entered was reportedly propped open by a teacher, which is mind blowing to me because this, this, my first reaction to this was, oh, what a horrible accident. What, what a dreadful coincidence. But it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a dreadful coincidence because this school and this school district had been subject to a threat of a mass shooting just four years prior to this. Four years prior, there were two young people who made a threat that they were going to commit a mass shooting at this school. And so this, this can't be a coincidence. Why wasn't the school completely hardened? If they knew that this was a threat, I, I know that those two individuals who made that threat four years ago were not the same. It wasn't this shooter. But why wasn't the school hardened? Why weren't security protocols and procedures followed? Why wasn't this taken seriously? This, this was obviously a life and death situation. So then, so then the shooting commenced. He goes into a classroom with an adjoining door and begins to shoot students. The, the police did respond. They responded by, by sending several officers into the building. The shooter then, then exchanged fire with these officers. But when shots were fired at the police, the police retreated. They did not try to breach the barricaded door. They actually left, left the area, perhaps went out of the school building. 19 officers were waiting outside as the, the incident commander told even the Border Patrol tactical team that showed up very shortly not to go in. Um, 40 minutes passed during which this massacre was occurring and police waited so long to go in that parents were rushing into the school to get their own children. Parents who had heard about this after being notified by the school and then they had rushed down to the school. That's how much time elapsed. That parents, not only did the social media teams and the response teams at the school have time to notify the parents, the parents were able to stop what they were doing and drive to the school to get there. The police waited so long that parents were going in to get their own kids. The Border Patrol tactical team, by the way, that ultimately did breach the door and ultimately did kill the shooter, they had been at the school for quite some time and they were told by the incident commander on scene not to enter the school. And they actually violated his orders and went in anyway after a mom ran into the school to get her own two kids. And they thought, oh my God, parents are going into the school to get their own children. We're gonna go in and we're gonna go in and save these children. It was only at that point that 
the shooter was was neutralized, that the shooter was killed by these Border Patrol tactical um, team members. And the excuse for why the police were outside and why the police didn't respond um, from these law enforcement officers, the excuses that they have given are, I, I, I almost don't even have words to describe to describe what they are because the police commander said, you know, he assumed that the shooting was over. He assumed that, I don't know if he assumed that the children were all dead or he assumed it had morphed into a hostage situation. But my question is, based on what would you draw that assumption? Based on what would you think that it was a safe and secured situation when a mass shooter who had massacred children is still on the loose in this school and there are other children in this school. It's an absolutely insane assumption, especially given the fact that there were calls from the children in the room, the kids that were in the room with the shooter as their classmates are being gunned down. They are calling 911 over and over and over. At 12.03, a little girl calls and whispers the room number. She said, I'm in room 112. At 12.10, seven minutes later, she said, there are multiple people dead in here. At 12.13, she called again. At 12.16, she says, there are eight or nine students that are still alive here. At 12.19, a student calls from room 111 and says, hey, I'm, I'm here, I'm here, help. At 12.21, three shots are heard on the call, meaning they know the dispatchers, the 911 dispatchers know that this is an ongoing shooting. This is not over. At 12.36, there's another call. At 12.43, another call asking for police. At 12.47, asking for police again. Can you imagine these little children begging for the police to come in, begging for help, begging for somebody to save their life, and the police are standing outside. They're not going in. They're just waiting. And this is insane, by the way. Even if this assumption, to begin with, that the shooting was over wasn't ridiculous and based on nothing, even if the 911 calls were proving demonstrably that the shooting was still going on, it's actually insane, notwithstanding anything else, that the police wouldn't have gone in. Because even if one person had been shot, even if one person had been shot, delaying police response could have caused a, a serious injury to become fatal. Somebody could have bled out and died based on just the lapsed amount of time before police entered the room. And when they know that it's a mass casualty event, how many people are they, are they who are perhaps injured, critically injured and need emergency care, are they leaving to die by waiting out this shooter? Waiting out this shooter? And by the way, the procedure here the procedure for police officers, they, they completely violated what is the proper procedure for, for police. Now, I like Genucel because it works. How old does your mirror say you are? Ladies and gentlemen, you can delay this question for 5, 10, even 15 years with the new Ultra Retinol Serum from Genucel. Marina from Fort Lauderdale, Florida loved it so much. Let me read to you what she says. She says, great product. My skin loves it. I've spent more money on creams over the years enough to pay off my house. Just kidding, she writes, but it feels like that. This product has changed my life like no other. Now, Marina's flying high with Genucel's new ultra retinol serum with hyaluronic acid. This technological wonder hydrates your skin at a cellular level and builds on this deep moisture with the incredible anti-wrinkle effects of phytoretinol. So go to genucel.com right now and you can get up to 50% off the brand new ultra retinol serum. You'll be amazed with the results or you can get your money back. You'll also get Genucel immediate effects for results in 12 hours or less free with your order if you use my URL. 
genucel.com slash Liz. It's spelled G-E-N-U-C-E-L dot com slash Liz. Go to genucel.com slash Liz. Free express shipping, free returns, exquisite customer service. Go to genucel.com slash Liz. So the procedure for how police respond in the event of a mass shooting has changed in the United States since Columbine. It used to be that police would assume it was a hostage situation and that hostages would only be murdered if, you know, the hostage taker didn't receive what he demanded. But since Columbine, there's they that that assumption has been discarded and the assumption now is that if you don't respond immediately, this could be a mass casualty of, uh, event that it could be, well, a mass shooting for the sake of that mass shooting, not not a hostage situation or a murder because a hostage or because a demand has not been met. And um, a New York Times correspondent by the name of Mike Baker posted this posted this on Twitter. And I, wa- I want to read a couple of these tweets. He said, I've spent the past few days researching the training of Uvalde officers, including the tactics they were expected to use to halt school shooters. The documents are jarring. Here's a thread of our findings so far. In the past two years, he writes, the Uvalde school district has hosted at least two active shooter training days. One of them was just two months ago. The trainings included both classroom teachings and role-playing scenarios inside school hallways. And he posts a picture of this. This is from their training manual, from their exercise. He said the evolving training session two months ago relied on guidelines that give explicit expectations for officers responding to an active shooter. The training is clear. Time is of the essence. The first priority is to move in and confront the attacker. The first priority on their training slide says stop the killing. Officer's first priority is to move in and confront the attacker. Mike Baker then writes, but how should officers confront the gunman? With a tactical team? The training says that's probably not feasible because the urgency is so high. A single officer, the training says, may need to confront the suspect on their own. This is, again, I'm going to read from the training slide. It says, the short duration and high casualty rates produced by these events requires immediate response to reduce the loss of life. In many cases, that immediate response means a single solo officer response until such times as other forces can arrive. The best hope that innocent victims have is that officers immediately move into action to isolate, distract, or neutralize the threat, even if that means one officer acting alone. Baker says the guidelines provide sobering clarity. The first officers may be risking their lives, but it says innocent lives take priority. This is the training manual. First responders to the active shooter scene will usually be required to place themselves in harm's way and display uncommon acts of courage to save the innocent. As first responders, we must recognize that innocent life must be defended. A first responder unwilling to place the lives of the innocent above their own safety should consider another career field. That's the training manual that Uvalde police officers, this is the training that they underwent two months before the shooting. They were told, if you're not willing to do this, to show this uncommon courage, and this is not the career field for you. That the, that the first person to get there should respond. And the first person to respond should understand that that might mean that they're seriously injured or might even die in the line of duty. This is from the training of the Uvalde police officers. It is similar in no way to the actual response from law enforcement at the time of this shooting. Why? Why was this different? Why wasn't this training manual adhered to? I, I, I simply don't buy the excuse that this incident commander thought that it wasn't a mass shooting event, that, that all, everyone had been killed, that this was now a hostage situation barricaded away. I simply, I, I don't buy that. 
How, how could anyone be that stupid? How could you be this stupid? But this is, this is, this is, this is the procedure. After Columbine, it's immediate entry. And yet at Uvalde, we had children calling over and over, crying for help. Now, this, this is the timeline, right? That, that's the what happened, the what happened. And I think we've all watched in horror, really, as the facts have, as the facts have surfaced in the, in the past week. And since this has happened, we've, we, we want to give, we want to give law enforcement officers the benefit of the doubt. They're, they're sworn to serve and protect. And most of them do so. Most of them do show uncommon courage. Most of them are willing to sacrifice their safety and maybe even their lives in protection of us and our communities. And so our inclination is to give the benefit of the doubt. But as this, as we've, as we've answered this question of what happened, we've seen that this response was botched in a way that that led to more children dying. That's the stark reality of the thing. And there's some there's several important takeaways from this, right? There's several important things that we should understand based on this response. The first is that the left tells us every time there's a mass shooting, every time there's a crime committed with a firearm, the left tells us that if we want to save lives, then, you know, we have to, we have to get on board with the left's gun control agenda. And when I say gun control, I mean, their anti-gun agenda. They want to ban guns. They want to confiscate guns. They want, they want the government to be in charge of guns and giving you the privilege of using guns in certain circumstances, if they like you. Um, very, very anti-Second Amendment, very anti-firearm. And the left tells us when we say, well, wait a second, how do we keep ourselves safe if we're not allowed to own a firearm? If we, if we aren't allowed to you know, have an AR-15 if we're, if we're not allowed to, if we're not allowed, maybe per Biden, and we'll get to this part in a minute, even, even own a handgun, how are we supposed to defend ourselves? And they tell us, well, this is what the police is for. The police will defend you. The police will protect you. Why do you need to take this in your hand when there's a trained professional who, whose duty it is to, to protect you, serve you? And one of the big takeaways from this is this is the same police that the left wants us to rely on. They, the left wants to disarm us and tell us that we can rely on police who, remember, are, are officers of the state. And this is the same police the left wants us to trust after we're disarmed. Yet in the moment of truth, not every police officer will protect you. Not every police force will keep their community safe. And this is, this is, chilling to think about because if we are disarmed, not only is that incredibly dangerous in, in our relationship as the people versus the government that we're supposed to um, protect ourselves collectively against, but it's also incredibly scary for situations like this, mass shootings or protecting our families, protecting our homes, protecting ourselves from, from murder, assault, any kind of, any kind of bodily harm that we might use a firearm to defend against. This is incredibly, incredibly jarring to think about. We also have to remember that there's, there's, this has been upheld in the courts, by the way, that police officers actually have no legal duty to aid to serve, to protect, to intervene, or to even be dispatched, meaning that they cannot be held liable if they do not, if they do not protect you in a certain situation, if they do not respond to a certain situation, if they do not aid you in the way that you need in a certain situation. The Supreme Court has actually upheld the Supreme Court and then the DC Circuit Court has uh, has it have issued 
majority opinion saying that police, it's called the public duty doctrine, that police do not have, um, do not have a legal duty to, to aid that, that a government cannot compel a police officer to do this. And I, I, I've been studying this. I've been studying this because I thought, how could this happen? How, how could this happen? Especially after, after I saw the law enforcement officer tell Wolf Blitzer on CNN that, you know, the American public needs to understand, he said, that police officers perhaps didn't go into the elementary school because they, they thought that they were going to get, that they were going to get injured or perhaps die. And actually, I, I, I want you to see this. I want you to see this, this whole clip for yourself. Take a look at this. Current the best practices, Lieutenant, call for officers to disable a shooter as quickly as possible, regardless of how many officers are actually on site. Correct. The active shooter situation, you want to stop the killing, you want to preserve life. But also, one thing that, of course, the American people need to understand is that officers are making entry into this building. Uh, they do not know where the gunman is. Uh, they are hearing gunshots. They are, they are receiving gunshots. At that point, if they, if they proceeded any further, not knowing where this suspect was at, um, they could have been shot. They could have been killed. And at that point, that gunman would have the opportunity to kill other people inside that school. So they were able to contain that gunman inside that classroom uh, so that he was not able to go to any other portions of the school to commit any other killings. I think to hear a law enforcement officer actually say that out loud um, was dis- it's disillusioning, right? It's, it's, it's very discouraging to hear that because you hope that there's some explanation for why this went wrong. And instead you hear this law enforcement officer say, well, maybe the police officers were, were just cowardly. Maybe they didn't want to get shot. Maybe they didn't want to get killed. And he wasn't saying that with, with, with any, uh, he wasn't saying that in an insulting manner towards them. He was saying that as if that's just a matter of fact, the American people need to understand that maybe the police officers didn't want to get shot either. And so you combine that, you combine that with, this 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 legalistic um, this legalistic principle that says, well, you police officers don't actually have uh, a duty to protect, a duty to aid, a duty to render service here. The public duty doctrine they cannot be held liable if they don't, and it, it, it's kind of um, it's kind of earth shattering, right? Because because we look at these situations and we think, okay, the left wants to disarm us, they want us to rely on the police that has no duty to protect us, a police who who admits that maybe they won't because they don't want to be harmed themselves. And again, I, I mean this with all due respect to probably the majority of law enforcement officers who are willing to lay down their lives to protect our communities, who, who wish that they had been there so that they could have reacted differently. I, I say this with all due respect. And, and I think a lot of law enforcement officers would actually agree with what I'm saying. But the, what I'm saying is this is incredible to think about how this legal principle that police don't have to respond um, combined with with this law enforcement officer admitting that this is this is a factor taken into consideration in a response to a mass casualty event, whether the police will will die or not, um, it's incredible then that these schools have not been hardened. That we have not taken into account this 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 policing philosophy or this this really this legal principle that we've not taken this into account with our public policy as it relates to how we keep schools safe instead of just relying on police we ought to be relying we ought to be relying on single point entry we ought to be relying on identification when you enter a school and that only known persons are allowed to come in metal detectors and armed officers and all the things that we've talked about how to harden these school campuses to make them um, to make them secure to make them safe to make them 
free of the threat or safe from the threat of, of psychopaths like this shooter. And th- this is getting lost in the shuffle. It's lost in the shuffle of our horror and our outrage about, about how police botched this up and how many lives that cost, how many children died because of that response from police. But bigger picture here is this shows, especially conservatives who are more cleared, clear-eyed about this, but uh, obviously not calling for gun control, it shows us that our response has to be very different. Our response has to be not relying as much on law enforcement and relying more on hardening these schools. It's also, by the way, think about how this, this Border Patrol tactical team, how they were there at the school outside, and then the incident commander told them not to enter the school, but they they ultimately, they well, they overrode his his orders and they went in anyway. And, and what prompted them to run in? What prompted them to run in was that mom who also defied orders and ran in and saved her own her own children. God bless her, by the way, for doing this. I hope that I'm half the mother that that she is putting herself in harm's way for her children because that's what parents do. And this is this is so important because this is why in our country, this is why parental rights are so critically important because nobody, not anybody else, loves your child the way that you do. So when public schools say that they have your child's best interest at heart, when pediatricians say they have your child's best interest at heart, when the liberal left and Democrat politicians say they have your child's best interest as, at heart, they don't. They are not the parent of your child. You are the parent of your child and only you can love your child the way that you love your child. And so this idea that government tells us, that government tells us, you know, children are raised by a village. Well, it wasn't the village running in there. It was the parent, the parent of that child who would literally lay down her life to protect her little kids. We have to protect parental rights because government, if they're ever, if they ever have dominion over our children, they will not protect our children the way that we parents will because no one loves our children the way that we do. And this is a perfect, a horrific concrete example of this. The FBI is investigating the police response um, in Uvalde. And honestly, when I when I read that report initially, I, I kind of laughed because I said, really? The FBI, the FBI who... who um, who tried to stage a coup attempt against a sitting president, the FBI, the same, the same FBI under the head of the Department of Justice that is so corrupt that they weaponize the power of the federal government against their political adversaries. We're going to trust the FBI not to politicize this because it's not a crime that they're investigating. They're, they're not trying to indict somebody. They're investigating to identify what went wrong. It's, it's basically a report that they're going to, that they're going to publicize. They're going to conduct an investigation and create a report. And, and we think that the Biden Department of Justice isn't going to be political about that. Ha. Ha. That's the last organization, the last executive agency that I would trust to tell us the truth, the reality of what happened and what went wrong. There is going to be gun control weaved in every sentence of this report, every sentence. And then of course we have Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez blaming masculinity uh, as if masculinity somehow caused this shooter to commit this heinous act. And of course, everything that AOC says is wrong. 
100%. I can't think of a single thing that she's ever said that is correct. But in this case, it is so incredibly inverted, it's almost comical. It is the lack of masculinity in our culture that lead young men, troubled young men, to have no father figure. A lack of masculinity. Men who neglect to be fathers. Men who neglect the most important role that they have on this earth as guardians of their sons and daughters. It's a lack of masculinity that causes cowardice, that causes this, this attitude where people think about themselves first. Now, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to put motives or thoughts in any of the individual law enforcement officers' heads. I don't know what was happening on the ground. I don't know why they they obeyed for so long. I know that in law enforcement, like the military, the chain of command is incredibly important. You follow orders. That's your, that's your role. That's your duty. I still don't understand why the police officers, the individuals, not the commander, why the individuals didn't say, uh-uh, I'm going in, like the Border Patrol tactical team did, but like 40 minutes before that. I don't understand. I don't know if it was individual cowardice. I don't know if they were completely unaware of the situation. I, I, I don't know. That we, that we do need to find out why each individual officer didn't. But what I will say is our culture right now glorifies cowardice. Our culture glorifies self-idolization, meaning we have, we have strayed so far culturally from being a religious people that we now have put as our idol in our, in our own hearts ourselves. We want to have a legacy. We want, we want it to be all about me, me, me. Instead, instead of the attitude that you should have as a Christian of keeping your eyes on eternity, not on this life, keeping your eyes on eternity and keeping your eyes on Christ's self-sacrifice, that he sacrificed his own body, his own blood for us. If we emulate that as a culture, then we won't have we won't have as much trouble facing our own mortality and sacrificing ourselves for other people but when a culture has for decades rejected religion they have stigmatized and demonized faith they have like i said elevate elevated individuals to our own idols and completely ignored completely neglected to teach young men what it means to protect, what it means to defend, what it means to be Christ-like in that defense and in that protection, then yeah, you do have, you do have individuals who in the, in, in the moment of truth choose themselves over other people. Every cultural issue that we talk about, that you and I sit here and talk about week in and week out, has an impact on the politics of the thing. I know sometimes it's, it feels, at least to me, it feels like culture wars are separate from politics, right? Politics are inflation. Politics are, are Ukraine and foreign policy. Politics are, you know, the budget and the debt ceiling. Politics are, th those are politics. And sometimes it feels like cultural issues aren't so much politics, but, but more, more people. You got to change people's minds, change their hearts. That's cult, that's the culture war. And the culture war is, is about faith. It, it, it is about values. And politics is usually not. Politics is usually dollars and cents. Is this policy practical? Is it stupid? Is it responsible? Is it irresponsible? Is it safe? Is it dangerous? But 
The two things cannot be separated from each other. This is why it's so important for us to fight the culture wars, because when we allow evil to seep into our culture, when we allow ego to seep into our culture, when we, when we ignore and reject religion and faith, then it creates a culture where this, this type of atrocity can happen, whether it's evil corrupting this mentally vulnerable youth because he didn't have the family as a bulwark against this evil, whether it's the police response, the lack of wisdom, the lack of, the lack of self-sacrifice, the lack of courage. Cultural battles make a difference make a bigger difference even than political values do. But of course, the politics of the thing is Joe Biden is now trying to ban handguns, which I, I told you, I told you he would try to ban handguns. Um, and of course he is, and his excuse for it is simply horrendous. Now I like Bambi, and I think you will too, because small business owners, have you ever had an issue with employee attendance? Have you ever had an employee altercation in the workplace? Have you ever been confused on how exactly to handle a situation with an employee? Have you ever had employee performance issues? Have you ever stressed about navigating to HR compliance? Well, the bad news is that one complaint against your company can turn your whole world upside down. The good news is Bambi is here to help small business owners implement good HR practices. Bambi is an HR platform built for businesses just like yours. So you can automate the most important HR practices and get your own dedicated HR manager. First, Bambi's HR Autopilot automates your core policies, workplace training, employee feedback. Then your dedicated HR manager will help you navigate the more complex parts of HR and guide you to compliance. Available by phone, email, or real-time chat. An in-house HR manager can cost up to $80,000 a year. But with Bambi, your dedicated HR manager starts at just $99 a month. No hidden fees, and you can cancel anytime. You run your business. Let Bambi run your HR. Go to Bambi.com slash Liz right now for your free HR audit. It's spelled B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash Liz. Bambi.com slash Liz. So Joe Biden, of course, the politics of the thing is he's trying to ban handguns now, and his justification for this is simply atrocious. And they showed me a, 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 a x-ray. He said a 22 caliber bullet will lodge in a lung. And we could probably get it out, maybe up there, and save the life. A nine millimeter bullet blows the lung out of the body. So the idea of these high caliber weapons is that there's simply no rational basis for it in terms of about self-protection, hunting. I mean, I just and remember the Constitution, the Second Amendment, was never absolute. The Constitution was never absolute hilarious. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That is absolutely absolute. That's the dictionary definition of absolute here. But you'll notice with the left that when they talk about the Second Amendment, they they focus on, on self-protection or self-defense and they focus on hobby hunters and they deliberately focus on those two things and deliberately ignore the fact that that's not what the Second Amendment is about. Not at all. The Second Amendment is actually not about self-defense and it's not about hunting for hobby or for food. The Second Amendment is about an armed citizenry being able to defend themselves against a tyrannical government. In fact, the, 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 the phrase that the left is using right now, this, this phrase, weapons of war, a citizen, why does a civilian have a weapon of war? Actually, we are supposed to have weapons of war. That's, that's actually what the Second Amendment is about. We are supposed to be armed so that a government that tends towards tyranny 
thinks twice before it exercises that tyranny over us because we have the means to defend ourselves against that violation or that usurpation. So yeah, the Constitution is pretty absolute. And no, the Second Amendment's not about hunting. The Second Amendment is about defending yourself from a tyrannical government. He goes on to say, and this is this is actually quite funny. He says, you couldn't buy a cannon when the Second Amendment was passed. You couldn't go out and purchase a lot of weaponry. So funny, you actually could go out and buy a cannon when the Second Amendment was passed. And people did. In fact, you still can buy a cannon if you want, if you have enough money. So he's he's not only ignorant, but when he's talking about nine millimeter handguns, nine millimeter handguns are the most common pistols on the market. Four out of every 10 pistols in the United States right now uses nine millimeter rounds, 40%, 40%. Um, this, this was always the problem though, with with calling semi-automatic weapons, which are most, most, most handguns, most rifles, with calling semi-automatic weapons assault weapons. It, it was always a euphemism. It was never something that was official. It's, it's obviously AR was never, it stands for Armalite rifle. It was never assault rifle. But, but calling semi-automatic weapons assault weapons always left unsaid the fact that using the logic that the left would offer us about AR-15s, that they're assault rifles, that the semi-automatic part of them is dangerous, that they are quote-unquote weapons of war, that you shouldn't be allowed to have this, and what do you need that many rounds for anyway? This, th these arguments, faulty as they may be, always left the door open for handguns to also be included in, in, in these categories or under, under this umbrella of these justifications. Um, because all of the arguments are the same, except handguns are actually more deadly. More firearm-related homicides are committed with handguns than they are with, with rifles of any kind, let alone with, with AR-15s here. And this, this has been obvious for a really long time. Most firearms, remember, most firearms are semi-automatic. But th this is the thing. Joe Biden doesn't care about keeping kids safe. He doesn't care about hardening these schools. He, the press secretary today... Corinne Jean-Pierre actually said there's a conversation that's happening right now about hardening schools, and that's not something that Biden believes in. Of course he doesn't believe in that. Of course he doesn't believe in that because what he believes in is disarming his citizenry. He believes in the government taking away your guns, the government taking away your self-defense, taking away your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. That is the goal of Joe Biden here. That is his goal. He's also a huge hypocrite because he's surrounded by all this firepower that he doesn't want you to be surrounded by. That's neither here nor there. You look up north at our neighbor, Canada. Justin Trudeau is taking it even one step further. Biden's talking about how, how he'd like to ban guns. Well, Justin, or like to ban handguns. Justin Trudeau is actually banning handguns. And so today, we're moving forward. We're introducing legislation to implement a national freeze on handgun ownership. What this means is that it will no longer be possible to buy, sell, transfer, or import handguns anywhere in Canada. In other words, we're capping the market for handguns. What an absolute freaking creep. What a creep. I mean, he, that he says this so casually. And, and by the way, the Minister of Public Safety in Canada, what a creepy, a creepy title there, um, Marco Mendes, Mendesino, he actually admitted that, that the firearms that are most often used to commit crimes in Canada 
are not acquired legally. They are most often acquired illegally or they are smuggled over the Canadian border, um, which begs the question, why is depriving Canadian citizens of, of their rights to firearms, why or how is that going to keep anybody safe if the crimes are actually committed with firearms that were acquired illegally or smuggled across the border. But that's the thing. This is never about the safety of the individual. This is never about the safety of the people. This is always about government exercising control over their citizens, wanting to disarm a citizenry so that the people can't rise up against the government. And of course, it's all in the name of your safety. All of this tyranny is always in the name of your public safety. And it's shocking to me that so many people in the United States, but in Canada too, because they experienced this, that so many people are not convinced that government, when given the opportunity, will actually devolve into tyranny. They will actually tyrannize you. Did we not just live through the COVID lockdowns? Did we not see our, our, our rights violated willy-nilly? Did we not, did we not see Churches closed down, businesses closed down, people arrested for going for a walk on the beach, forced to mask, forced to vaccine, forced to vaccinate. Did we not see all of this happening? Did we not see people dying, old people dying in nursing homes because of the government? Family members deprived of being near their loved ones when their loved one dies because of the government? Did we not see the government forcing hospitals and surgical centers to cancel surgery because the government said so? Did we not see the government try to suspend our First Amendment and our Second Amendment rights in the name of your safety, your security, your health and wellness in the name of COVID? Do we not believe that government will actually do this? I mean, look at what happened in Canada, Trudeau and the, the, the Freedom Convoy, the truckers. He froze people's bank accounts if they donated 50 bucks to the truckers and promised that he would keep going after them for months and months. Do we not believe that government has the capacity to be tyrannical? If we believe that, then our Second Amendment is of critical importance. Violating our Second Amendment will not keep children safe. It will not prevent school shootings. It will leave more people sitting ducks, not only to, to personal safety threats like shootings, but also from a tyrannical government. We cannot let that happen. Do not let, we're all feeling the emotions of, of the shooting, and we should be. It's good and right and proper to grieve. It's good and right and proper to be outraged, to demand accountability for the botched response from these police officers, to, to, to do something, as the left says, to make sure that this never happens again. But don't do something just to do something. Do something that works. Harden schools. Demand that politicians keep children safe by making schools secure. Don't let them take away your right to keep and bear arms in the name of keeping you safe because it won't keep you safe and it'll make it dangerous, life dangerous for a lot of other people in our country and in other countries as well. Join us over on Locals. We're gonna talk about Nancy Pelosi's husband, Paul Pelosi, he was arrested as reported originally for a DUI in California. And Nancy Pelosi's response was absolutely hilarious. Join us, lizwheelershow.com slash locals. If you use my promo code, promo code is access, then you can get your first month free on your annual subscription. That's lizwheelershow.com slash locals, promo code access. Um, we will head over there shortly. Thank you for watching today. Thank you for listening. I'm Liz Wheeler. This is The Liz Wheeler Show.
The Liz Wheeler Show is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer, Chad Abbott. Director of photography, Kevin McRoberts. Editor, Alejandro Figuerilla. Sound mixer, Robin Fenderson. Director of marketing, Emily Washler. Production and talent coordinator, Matt Toffler. And senior publicist, Patricia Jackson. This has been a Soundfront production.